It's a beautiful Monday morning, everyone. Welcome back to Kafaru Cast. Uh, my partner in crime, Frank the Tank, is back from coyote hunting. Thank God. I was worried about you, Frank. <laughs> it was cold. It was cold and windy. Yeah, I was uh, shooting a bow indoors and podcasts all weekend, so I was at least warm. But uh, speaking of the cold, we have, which I love that name, the Winter Soldier, John Barklow, on the line today. Yeah, D- Dudley, yeah, he came up with that. I had no idea what he was going to do. Um, yeah, so I guess that's me now. Um, good to talk to you again, Aaron. Frank, I haven't talked to you in a while. Yeah, what's going on, man? I, haven't, I don't think I've talked to you since... Uh tack two years ago <laughs> i know aaron said you've been doing laundry ever since so. i don't know what that's even about uh, did G- I say jim maybe said jim in his refrigerator he might have said jim tan I, laundry I, I probably did say the refrigerator thing but frank did frank grew up he moved out i got my own crib again thank you to oh, uh nice thanks to aaron and amy though for letting me stay there for so long I probably outwore my out my welcome but i'm definitely eating a lot of cereal and fucking <laughs> <laughs> what are those eggs. like bagel bagel bites <laughs> cereal and bagel bites hot pockets yeah oh i'm a bit famished amy said you sent her a text that said i'm cold and hungry i miss you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh shit that's pretty funny well john now we we got you on i i, I wanted to get you on here because I, I got a phone call last week from and this isn't the first one but i you know, a guy, a survival kind of expert guy got a hold of me about uh, what we get by choice generally, sometimes not, you know, stuck out away from our camp overnight um, throughout the course of the year. And when I say um, by choice, sometimes we're just too lazy to walk back. Sometimes we're on an animal and we don't want to pack it out and it's a safety thing. And you know, there's a few times, I won't lie, I've been a bit confused and twisted, and I just thought, you know what, I'm going to sleep here. So, you know, his question was, what do we keep in our pack to stay overnight to, to, to survive? And and my answer uh-huh. was pretty anticlimactic, and knowing that Frank has the same shit, if not less, maybe a little more, about the same, I would say, in our packs at all times. You know, I don't think it was what he maybe wanted to hear. Um, and this is obviously not... The zombies are coming, apocalypse. This is Frank and I backpacking in. We have our camp set up. We're we're heading out away from that camp throughout the day for mule deer, elk, and we just get stuck with our day packs away from camp and stay overnight. You know, that scenario. Um, yeah, yeah. What, what do you generally have in your pack for a either a day hunt or you know, meaning from the truck day hunt, or you've backpacked in and you, you head out, what do you generally carry with you to make sure, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to die if you get stuck out? Yes. My, my list might be anticlimactic as well. Um, and basically it's, a a few ways to start a fire and, um, that can be anything from, you know, some kind of, um, Tab to um, magnesium, flint, matches, lighter. I normally try to carry a windproof lighter. I normally try to carry some kind of wet tinder. Um, but generally speaking, one or two ways, normally two, to start a fire. And I normally carry a small fixed blade knife, um, maybe on average, maybe a four-inch blade, nothing too crazy. Um because I found that a, a Havilon or a, what is it, a Tyco um, are not necessarily the best 
survival knife to have. So I generally like to have a fixed blade knife. It's good um, if I got to get Frank a some... tracheotomy. <laughs> 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 By the way, Frank, uh, I'll just have die. Some kind of puffy. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Um, always try to have some kind of puffy, depending on the the the, the season and the terrain. And then maybe a lot of times I'll carry a small, just a small little uh, tarp. But but that's about it. Um, not not a, not a whole lot more than that. Frank, what's in your bag of tricks? <laughs> Mine's going to be pretty much the exact same, um, except for I don't often have the the tarp with me. So hopefully the rain gear is enough. But yeah, I mean basically rain gear, puffy jacket, fire starting material, and a. Uh, I try to always have a big contractor trash bag because um, sometimes you can wrap up in that. Not that it really helps a whole heck of a lot, but it does help keep a little bit of that body heat in. And I've actually had to use that a couple years ago when I killed that bear here in Colorado. It was it was only probably three miles back from the truck, but it was in this steep canyon right before dark and uh, had to cross a, uh, it was like a 20-yard creek that was probably two, three feet deep, so it got a little wet. Um, worked on that bear most of the night and by the time I was done it was it was pretty late so I just um, it, it was windy so I couldn't start a fire without without burning down the whole forest so I, I ended up just uh, wrapping up in a contractor trash bag through my puffy on it was a little bit of a rough night but it, it I got through the night and then packed out in the morning that forest may have taken one for the team if I was with you I don't like <laughs> yeah. getting cold I would have built a fire but the uh, I've gotten in my my backpack before and jammed my feet down in there. Um, yeah, yeah. With, with Pecker once. When I say Pecker, James Pecker. Uh, you know, I wrapped with my, your Pecker. Yeah, I wrapped whatever clothing I had extra around my feet and jammed them down into the. Uh, what I, well, I heated them up by the fire, and then everybody had kind of a pile of wood beside them if they woke up, kind of threw wood on the fire. And you're not going to get eight hours of sleep uh, or anything that way, but you'll have enough sleep and, and, and make it anyway. Um, and I, I, I think the biggest difference here is you have some different schools of thought. You've got the doomsdayers that bury shit in their front yard and— uh, like in the backyard too, and and uh, probably read the book um, one second after way too many times, and uh, <laughs> there's just too much. Too, you know, they got they got uh, they're over they're overpacked maybe, um, and then you you and they don't really ever go backpacking um, per se, right? And then you know that's just if the car breaks down and they're gonna survive or something. And then you have they're working off a theory theory yeah definitely working off theory um and then you know you have the 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 guys that um but you know go backpacking for the day right they'll climb 14ers we get a lot of those guys in colorado um and then you know you have the backpack hunter where we go in and it's pretty spartan like there's not a lot of room for activities in that pack when you're trying to save weight so you pretty much have the least amount of what you know you possibly can get away with and not and not you know keel over the tarp thing um, I would say Frank and I don't have that a lot here because it just doesn't rain as much in Colorado. But like in BC, I always have like a sheep tarp with me or, or Washington or Oregon. And, and that's where it changes is just it rains more here. You know, it doesn't, I mean, you can fart and start a fire here. You know, you got to actually work at it in other areas. Yeah, no, for sure. Like up here in Montana and where, you know, I used to live in, in Alaska, those northern regions, like, you know, you, you modify it a little bit. Generally, I would just say that for me anyways, that small fixed blade knife and so a couple ways to start a fire, like 
that's that's the standard, and then a puffy. But you know what? What we're not talking about, which is quite frankly more important, is is the knowledge and experience to go with those couple things. And I think, you know, I don't want to say that I don't I don't know who you talked to, and and I'm certainly not directing this at them. But you know, the the less experience you have, the more stuff you tend to bring, because um, that tends to make you feel like you're more prepared and that's not always the case and then the other thing we're not talking about is we're assuming and i know the three of us do it but we're assuming that we're wearing you know the best clothing that we can um because quite frankly like that's your first line of defense against the elements so you know those couple things as assumptions yeah you actually don't need to carry all that much stuff oh a hundred percent um you know, kind of adding to the the knowledge thing. Uh, Hilleberg makes shelters, and and Petra is frequently pissed off at me because I'll send this really cool photo in of a shelter I shouldn't have been using in that specific scenario, right, or that situation. Not that you can't, you know, I trust in their equipment, so not that you can't get away with it in that. But her big thing is you have the knowledge base if something goes wrong to be fine, where somebody else you know, might not in, in a, you know, that, that could be anything from, uh, you know, building a fire to repair, uh, you know, meaning field repair, uh, and so on and so forth. And I, I I guess the, what you said, knocked it out of the park, the more shit you bring, the better you feel. But the guys I found, the, the less shit they bring, the better they are. Um, in a rough way to look at it. I'm not saying go Kevin Underwood style where you head out with a titanium spear and some fucking underwear for 10 days and brag about it. That might get people in trouble, but he does fine with it. And, and you know, Kevin goes, what, he's like 17, 18 pounds for seven days or something? Yeah, extreme ultralight. Well, yeah. Yeah. Tiny bag, 3,000 cubic inch bag. Yeah, that's not for me. Um but there's also, uh, you know, another level where you've got 85 pounds for five days. And Propane. That's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Didn't you run into a guy like that? I ran into a guy on a backpack hunt. He was like six or seven miles back. He had one of those lanterns that takes the green, the little green um, propane bottles. My buddy's like, you packed that all the way in wow. here? He's like, yeah. yeah, I'm fucking regretting it now. He was a super nice guy. He ended up killing <laughs> a cow back there and him and his buddy got it out. But yeah, he... He definitely learned. Some people like I'm just the same. Got to learn from uh, learn the hard way, I guess, with a lot of things. Well, you do. You got to go out there and, and just try things. And I mean, we, we didn't we didn't start kind of where we are right now, right? It's a it's a process that I think people definitely need to just dive into and enjoy. But you, you you're definitely going to suffer and you're going to make some mistakes along the way. But that's that's how you get that's how you get experience. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm not, I told you I wouldn't start making fun of social media, so I'm not going to, but I am <laughs> going to bring up, um, uh, you know, some posts I remember in the last 10 years of, of on, uh, on forums and things like that. And this isn't like making fun of anything, but you know, a guy said, All right, you've, you've got an elk on the ground and you're working on it and you start to shiver, you know, uncontrollably. You know, what do you do? And for me, it was a bit laughable because I'm like, I'm shivering all the time. I'm always cold. 
move your body, you re- or I can't use the R word, move, <laughs> you know, get, get moving, right? Like you're only stagnant, probably you had that adrenaline rush. Uh, th- this is my own opinion, and, I, you know, John, bounce back when I'm done. You had the adrenaline rush. You probably were sweating balls, right? And then you killed it. You had your moment of, you know, photos and thank the Lord for this elk that you provided me and whatever, and then everything crashes. Your sweat yeah. is now cold as hell. You may not have layered up because you just didn't think about it and you shiver. That is a minor problem mostly. All you've got to do, layer up move your body, and you're good. That is not a survival situation by any stretch of the imagination. You throw a broken leg in there, a severed artery, you've hit survival mode. But just shivering, to me, I mean, not for the most part, not always. You just got to move. Like, I think you said it, and when you said it, I laugh because I do push-ups all the time when I'm cold, is is movement is life, right? You you got to move. That Mm kind of thing... I don't get alarmed by that type of stuff at all, and I've had it happen to many guys where they're shivering, and I myself am, and I will either take five, I'm going to layer up, I'm going to go walk around, get my blood moving, swing my arms in circles, knock out some push-ups, get mo- just in general get moving. Once I'm warm, I might build a little bit of a fire, I'll cut up the elk, go back to the fire. It doesn't really ever worry me unless it's, Midnight, snowing, I'm shivering, I'm so dead tired out of energy. That could be a problem. But for the most part, those little things that happen are nothing for that I'm ever concerned with. I mean, what's your kind of take on that stuff? Yeah, for sure. I mean, being cold and shivering, you know, taking your example, is, is just a temporary issue. And assuming that you're not out there in just a cotton T-shirt with, with nothing to layer up with, like, yeah, you should just be able to, to stop, throw a puppy on, move around a little bit, get your, get your, you know, your body going, your engine going to heat yourself up. Um, you're right. Those, those are not, those are not survival situations, but again, if you haven't ever been in that situation, you may, you may consider it at some point a survival situation, but in actuality, it's just a temporary issue. You know, and I, I've said this a lot, but you know, the hunter has to be an active participant and, uh, you know, you can't just go out there and expect to have all this gear and it just do these magical things for you. Like you've got to have some knowledge and you've got to have some experience to know, Oh, okay. I'm shivering right now. I need to stop what I'm doing. Maybe if you did have a cotton shirt on, I need to take that off. I need to put a dry one on. I need to put a puffy on and I need to move around a little bit, but not so much that I'm going to sweat and, and get wet again. Um, but those are those are just temporary things that you know people who are not experienced may get freaked out about and you know the one the one thing i was going to say about what it sounds like the three of us bring for quote survival um there's a big difference between survival and what i call primitive living and i think a lot of people get that maybe confused or those things crossed and it's like, listen, I'm not out there to make a, a fish weir and a, and a pan and, <laughs> you know, uh, weave myself a basket because I'm in a survival situation. I'm going to start a fire. I'm going to manage my body core temperature and I'm going to get up in the morning and leave, you know, big difference, big difference. You, you know, I'm glad you said that. And I, I totally, you know, muffed that up because I, I was thinking about that. In fact, I was kind of making fun of it, talking to Amy. I said, these people 
that prepare for this are preparing to live forever, like the movie, like the show Alone, you know, where they're dropped off with yeah. way more shit than they let on. It's like a three hundred pound packing list, right? Like you're not on that show alone. I'm not saying it's easy, but it is truly a mental thing because they give you enough shit to live pretty dang happy, right? They're not dropping you off with a fork and a smile. Like you have a 25, 20 foot tarp and a sleeping bag and everything else. It's, it's, it's mental. And the primitive living thing, there is a lot more to that because you, you are planning on exactly like it sounds living in the woods forever survival not mm-hmm. in every part of the world obviously alaska is a big place idaho's got some huge wildernesses but you know for the most part you can walk out of just about anywhere in a day um not not everywhere there's a lot of big wildernesses but within reason if you walked your ass in there you can walk back out um you know what i mean like you if you hiked in you know how far you went and minus any major yep injuries you're just trying to keep your suffering to a, a a level that you can deal with and not get yourself in any deeper trouble um and there's a lot of um kind of i uh, misconceptions on i'd say maybe not misconception um uh, preconceived notions maybe especially when you get on packing lists or what's needed and what's not and you know a guy talks to a buddy and the buddy did it once and he packed this and we've we've covered this before but uh, you know you really only need um when you talk about clothing i generally have some kind of a it's generally a cotton poly t-shirt with somebody's logo on it because they pestered me to wear it and after that i've got (laughs) a thin merino either long sleeve or short sleeve t-shirt i got a fleece layer i got a puffy jacket i've got a rain jacket i always carry at least one pretty thick stocking cap a patrol cap for either sleeping or it's just cold and i'm glassing i've got usually two sets of gloves um because i got really bitch hands and they get cold Frank, I know you're about identical. Same thing. Um, That will really get me through damn near anything. The fleece layer may get thicker as it gets colder. The the, the puffy jacket may have a larger amount of synthetic or down insulation, but I really don't don't go too crazy after that. Are you in the same kind of boat as far as that goes? No, for sure. I I mean, I actually don't carry a whole lot of extra as far as clothing because I'm wearing it, and I... For me, anyways, like I never bring extra base layers. I never bring extra pants, like because I just know I can dry all that stuff out. Yep. And I would say, like the puffy and the rain gear just changes either because of the season or because of uh, the area, the environment that I'm in. But yeah, that's pretty much it. But you touched on something that I think's worth worth uh, talking about a little more. And you said two pairs of gloves. And so the only thing I tend to carry in redundancy is gloves. And socks, and depending on, and I, I, I'm, I have, we've never talked about this before, so I'm curious about the socks here in a minute. But, but you know, X number of days, I bring an extra pair of socks. But the thing with your hands, kind of to go back to your scenario about shivering over the elk, um, like I can warm my body up and I can get my hands going, but there's a point in time where if your hands actually go and get too cold and you lose that dexterity, like you can't do shit. You can't zip up. You can't zip up your jacket. You can't. You can't wipe your nose, and you can't. And you can't. And you can't light a fire. And so, hands to me, hands and feet are the most critical thing, um, and they're the hardest, I think, to keep warm. So those are things that I definitely carry. Um, you know, redundant of. So maybe two fleece gloves and a liner or something like that, depending on the season. 
Um, I, what do you do for gloves? Because I know you said your, your hands get cold, but I, I'd be curious, like gloves and socks, like what your what your plan is when you go out. But Frank and I are identical on socks. We wear one set in and have one extra. Um, I uh-huh. would say up to probably, no matter how long a no matter how long a trip you're in there for. I, well, for me, up to about a five day, maybe seven day hunt, and then I throw okay. another set in just because shit happens, especially yep. when you stock in socks. You sure. can just fuck a pair of socks <laughs> up quick. Yeah. I mean, I did this year. Oh, the yeah. front of my feet blew out. Blew the front out of my pair. socks. For it was so steep when huh. I was stocking, and so I yeah. I, I do that, and a lot of times. Of course, this year I didn't care about washing clothes because we didn't have enough water to drink, so I certainly wasn't going to wash my shit. But if I can, I'll just do yeah. a hand rinse and hang my socks up so I got extras for that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, gloves, I've gotten to the point, and this is a sad situation because I have Raynaud's or whatever they call that. Um, I yep. have to carry, I didn't this year, but I pretty much have to carry a set of mittens and then two okay. uh, liners, and I'll, and I'll rotate. Sometimes I'll just have the liners hiking around, you know, just to cover. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of them may be a wind blocker, uh, not more, more, not really a liner, but more of a wind blocker glove. The only one may be a liner. And then I've got to have those mittens, and I've got to have them big for two reasons. My hand gets so cold. If they're too tight, I can't get my freaking hand in the glove and I literally mm-hmm. look like I got a nub because I just can't feel anything, <laughs> and I'm biting at shit trying to get my hand because my other hand won't work to to pull the right. mitten on. So they got to be pretty big, and then a cuff, uh, a bungee system or a, a system to pinch and hold the heat in that I can man- that I can maneuver without a lot of dexterity. Mm. Um, I've had to reinvent the wheel on this because because I lose feeling so quick. That's pretty standard yeah. for me. Frank, I don't think you run the until it gets cold. You don't really run the the mittens as much, do you? Mm, no, I don't. Not not necessarily. I usually about the same as you. They all have like a heavy p- set of. Uh, if it's like rifle season, I'll bring a heavy set of gloves and then like a lighter a lighter set as well. But during archery season, I'm usually just on, you, like a mid or a light. You glove. ran those. You ran the cold front gloves, didn't you? Those the wind blocker ones mm-hmm. for all the black yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah. For most of the season, the cold front gloves. The one thing that I really yeah. have to, like for me, that is a game changer, which a lot of people don't think about, I build a fire a lot. You know, if it does not, it, you know, if you're smart about it, it does not hurt anything. It is a quick pick-me-up. It makes you, I mean, I don't give a shit what anybody says. That is one of the more motivational things you will have happen on a crappy hunt is have a five-foot white man fire that burns everything around <laughs> you and dries it all out. It it's just a it's a pick me up for me, and so it may be a fire the size of a a softball to warm my hands up, or it may be the fire the size of a Volkswagen Rabbit. But one way or another, yeah. I'll build one or two fires throughout a hunt if I need to. Yeah, but let's talk about that for a second, Aaron, because again, there's a lot of um, like when we talk, like there's a lot of assumptions, right? Because we've done this, but I see so many times where folks are like, well, I'm just going to, if this happens, I'm going to build a fire. If that happens, I'm going to build a fire. And I'm like, okay, go build a fire right now. Go, go in your backyard with the weather I got in Montana right now. It's dumping. It's going to be a high of zero. Go build a fire in the backyard right now. Show me how you're going to acquire your wood. Show me how you're going to get it lit. And they're like, well, my point is there's a lot of skill to building a fire. And, and the assumption that people have is, well, I'll just build a fire. And it's like, if you haven't built a fire in a lot of different 
adverse conditions and you can go do it in your backyard right but if you haven't done that you are literally kidding yourself and that's when cold hands start coming into play and all of a sudden your big lighter gets wet and piece of shit and you don't know where to get dry wood from and your little you know scalpel knife isn't going to be able to baton anything to get to the dry core like there's so much that goes on it's like and i just encourage people i'm like don't say it go do it you know i um I do take that for granted because I am a professional varsity level fire builder because I'm such a pussy. <laughs> yeah, I'm no, you cold. build them all the time. Yeah, but <laughs> I'll give you an example. In Colorado, what is it, a 30-second ordeal probably to get one going, you know? Maybe a minute, 30 seconds to a minute. Sure. Change yeah. that shit to British Columbia, Western Washington, Northern Idaho. Totally, 30, totally different 45 scenario. minutes to get that thing going where you can walk away and... You know, I, I yep. you, you you gotta strategery, right? You got you gotta start stacking <laughs> wood around the fire you got to dry that wood out, and um, peep, yeah, I'm a fucking horrible person, but I need to explain this better because I could truly like when you start talking about dry wood, I'm looking for overhanging trees, trees that have fallen down at an angle, um. It, root, yep, standing dead wood. Yep, standing, yep. like if you get a big root wall, or a big root wall, a big stump standing vertical. Um, there's many different, you know, I remember guys say, oh, old man beards, it, it, that's a great fire starter. Whoever said that shit never started a fire in his <laughs> life. That's basically a sponge of water. It, it's great when it's dry. <laughs> yeah, it's good if you pick it up and shove it in your pocket and, you know, Four days later after hiking, it might, you know, it might <laughs> yeah. be dry enough, but, or the lint in your pockets, you know, or all this kind of stuff. Like we could spend, we should probably do this at some point. We should probably do an entire podcast just on fire because I could talk for 15 minutes just on the site preparation alone, so, let alone where to acquire the wood, how to do it, all the different tools to do it. But we can, you know, and it, yeah, you're right. You're right. It's totally different in Colorado in that high very arid type environment and then go to Alaska, Canada, right? Oh, you said Washington. And all of a sudden it's like a big ordeal. And it's like, do you understand the three sides of the fire triangle? Cause if you don't have fucking oxygen, you're not going to start a fire. If you don't have a heat, you're not going to start a fire. If you don't have fuel, you're not going to start a fire. Like, but if you don't know that as simple as it sounds to rattle off, like you're literally pissing up a rope. Like it's just not going to happen, you know? Um, so maybe we should do that at some point. It's and I don't know if you've done that in the past, but but there is so much to it. And again, I just encourage people. I'm like, don't think because you watched some video on YouTube or saw some Instagram post that you're going to be able to go and and survive. And and again, so let's circle back to where we started. Maybe that person does feel more comfortable carrying a lot of stuff because they really don't know. They don't have a lot of experience yet. Um. The reality is you don't need that much stuff if you know what you're doing. <laughs> well, let, let's talk about site prep just a little bit. There is a few things that I try to, for depending, again, in Colorado, it's like a primo elk hunting video. You can look like the master <laughs> fire starter, like doing it behind the back like Desperado, right? You can start that shit with your feet. But in other areas, one of the things I'll look for, if I can find not just the site prep for the fire, but also for heat retention or 
I, heat retention. Um, wind blocking, heat retention. If I can build it up against a vertical rock wall, it's going to bounce that heat back to me. Things like that where, you know, if I can get an overhang where I'm not dealing with constant drips or if it starts raining again, I look at all of that type of stuff. If it's a fire, I'm going to be hanging out for quite a while. And then generally, if I can find a big flat dry piece of bark if i can whatever so you know if you're building in a sopping wet ground something. yeah something you gotta get you gotta get your base platform on something dry um for your you know the best case scenario and then you're gonna have your tender and you're gonna have all these different things you want to have them lined up ready to go now here we can just spark one thing and then frank and i'll run around break branches throw it on we don't have to worry about shit i mean literally like yeah. throw a few sticks down but I had say Northern Idaho hunting moose with Avery in November that put my fire mm. building skills to the test because I, there's just is nothing dry and it's all covered in snow. And so right. it's an event. Now I will say I got warm finding shit, which was good. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, for, for site prep, what do you, what do you try to do normally? No. So you, I mean, you pretty much covered it, right? Like, you want to find a place that's going to be blocked from the wind. You want to find a place that's not in like a, a giant cold sump. You want to, what is it, Jeremiah Johnson, when the guy built the fire under the tree and then the snow fell and put the fire out, you know, but like you want to make sure all those things are in place. I mean, you know, the reality is the earth is basically a very cold thing that's going to suck the heat out of that fire. So, you know, like you said, building it on a big piece of bark or, you know, building it on a, a stone or certainly not right on the top of the snow when you have a six foot snowpack, you know, um, there's just so many things to take into consideration that, you know, if you, if, if people haven't gone through that process, people like yourself, like people who know what they're doing, you guys, you'll make it look super easy and everybody will be like, Oh yeah, I can do that. But if they've only built one in Colorado and then they do end up on that moose hunt in Idaho, like they're in for a rude awakening. If all of a sudden that fire is, what they need to spend the night out and quote survive you know keep their digits intact right yeah there's a lot to it uh oh yeah and uh, i mean he um when i say he i guess uh i was thinking a guy specifically um was (laughs) again a primitive living um talking about building one with like the bow saw um the friction method I've done that shit. You're really fucked. You're yeah. really fucked if, you, if you're building <laughs> if you're building a fire with a bow drill. And, and mind you, I can do it as well. But like, I'm seriously, I'm seriously up shit creek if that's all I got left. And not, not to interrupt you, but to circle back to what you're saying about walking out, the vast majority of people are what a couple miles off the road. Like, if you're building a fire with a bow drill, just fucking walk back to the truck. You know, unless you're dropped off by a boat, a helicopter, a plane, and you're in the middle of god awful nowhere, like the reality is, you're actually not that far from just walking out to your truck. Yep, I, unless you're stuck <laughs> on an island, or you sure. Well, I'll give you an example. I won't mention his name. A plane went down right on the border of Canada. A buddy of mine, and mm-hmm. he's not like a survival expert, but he's good enough in the woods. Um, <laughs> I think he didn't have, they were scouting mountain goats. Um, plane went hmm. down. I think he came out 38 miles. Um, wow. And uh, it's, uh, how long did that take him? 
what's well, Ben Rawls. I'll just say it. I mean, I get whatever ben? ben did. And and Ben, I'd say Ben, he might listen to this. Ben's kind of a pretty boy. I mean, the dude, I mean, he kills shit, but Ben's mentally tough, right? I mean, whether you, you know, give him shit because he drives $200,000 cars or whatever, he's like, yeah, oh, fuck no, I'm not staying out here tonight. And he hoofed it. <laughs> And he, didn't, he wasn't wow. even sure which direction he was going, and they walked out. Yeah, one trip. Yeah. And that you know the thing was he he mentioned he goes well what were the options stay with nothing or walk with nothing well that was an easy decision I'll just walk with nothing because it's better well, than freezing so, you know yeah one of the things you know we like to say when I was teaching survival is always try to improve your position right um, always try to always try to do something to improve your situation and so. In that case, he's like, well, the way I to improve my situation is to walk, start walking. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, primitive living's fun, but again, there's a difference between like, are you going to carry a bow drill on a, on a hunt in the backcountry of Colorado? No, you're not going to do that, you know. Um, but it might be fun to to have that skill and learn how to do it. You know but what? I don't give a fuck if I ever use that skill again. It sucks. I mean, you may like doing it. It does. Oh, dude. It'll warm you up. I guarantee it'll oh. warm you up. <laughs> it'll it'll warm, warm you by the time you're done. Warm your tricep up, I can tell you that. I Yeah. So we did, and I can't remember the names of all of them. The one was the canoe method with the, the pressure, and I'm sure you're way better at all yeah, this. Yeah, the fire, fire plow. Yeah, the yeah. plow. Dude, you want to talk about not jerking <laughs> off for a week? Your hands are so fucked up by the time you're trying to, because you get you're getting blisters and you're like, I did the thumb down to try to get, and then the end of my thumb sore, and I'm like, I might as well just die before I get this going. Now, <laughs> yeah. there are guys that I've seen on YouTube that'll whip that thing up. I shit, I bet there's gasoline in that fucking plow. Like they've got some rigging going, and that's in perfect situations, and you're just not very rarely going to have that. Now, I'm not saying there isn't guys that are really good at it because there is. It's just with me, minus an injury, um, you know, Frank breaks a, le- breaks a leg or I break one. You know, if I've got to use, a, like you said, a, a bow or, or, or the plow method or whatever to get a fire going, man, I've done something yeah. wrong with my previous prep. And I'm not saying don't be ready to prep for the worst like you're saying. I agree with you. Learn some of those skills. But man, you're up shit creek without a paddle if you're having to use those. Like you, you're you've got some problems. Yeah, I would definitely. And again, the scenarios are endless. But I would strongly consider like, is this your best course of action right now to be doing a fire plow? And you know, depending on the environment you're in, different methods work better than others. Um, you know. So, but that was one other thing I wanted to talk to you. you just mentioned because you had said. You know, you've mentioned your hands and things like that, but ways to start fires that that um, use gross motor functions, right? So, I mean, we've all been there with our hands cold trying to flick the little Bic lighter, and you're like, son of a bitch, I can't even use any fingers to get this spark, right, to get that flint going. And that's where things like, you know, magnesium sticks and, and just things like that that just require gross motor function, um, those those windproof lighters are really good. And, and you probably have a brand that you like. If I couldn't quote one off the top of my head, but they're just like pretty, pretty intuitive, like caveman push the button multiple times and, you know, you get a fire. But it's really important to kind of select some of those things because, 
you know, if you really do need that, there's a lot of times, like, there's probably not a lot going in your favor right then, and you don't need to be stacking the odds against you anymore. I, I For sure. The only thing about some of those lighters, they don't work worth a shit in high altitude. Um, when sure, I say that's high, a good point. Way, yeah. way, way high altitude. But you know what does you work? You spend a lot of time at high altitude. Yeah, yeah. You know what does work good is lighting your MSR reactor and throwing that fucker in the fire. That will work. <laughs> um, I'm not shitting. I, <laughs> when you can't feel your fingers. That'll definitely work. Um, yeah. I don't know, Frank, you've been to that method, but I know we've used it to start it. I'll just start like um, like my, let's say I have a, a, oh, what is that one? The, um, what's that one, Windmaster, the Soto Windmaster? Yeah. Uh, it's got a, I can push the button, um, you know, enough to get it to ignite or, or do a long burn match. Those are pretty easy to, to light. I'll get yeah. that thing going. Yeah. And you think about it, yeah, you're not going to be able to cook a meal again. But if you're at the point that you can't start a fire in survival, but you've got three quarters of an isobutane canister, light it up, man. Yep. Get that fucker going. Throw it. Get your shit together and put it. I literally have built a pyramid around mine uh, uh, yeah. and lit it underneath <laughs> it, and it'll dry. Like, oh, now, you, it may yeah. blow up or whatever. you got to have some common sense, but you do what you've got to do. And I've lost, well, I broke my Swarovski 95, the ATX. Oh. I lost the feeling in my fingers. I pushed that button so hard to pull off the eyepiece, I snapped the internal components because I couldn't feel my thumb. <laughs> Because I, no I, I, I didn't wow. know, I didn't know how hard I was pushing, so I, I had to use that thing without sure. it working yeah. for several months. But uh, you know, you do what you've got to do, and you got to have some common sense about you um, with that. And like you know, if you are get to the point where you're at that level. You know, I'm not thinking about, oh, man, I'm not going to be able to cook my mountain house the next couple of days if I use all my fuel. I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, I'm going to be dead. I'm not going to eat my mountain house. So I'm going to use whatever means I have in front of me, you know, to get me back to par to where I can start. I, I get, well, I'm sure you've been cold enough. Not Motor skills are one thing that goes, but, you know, you start to lose the ability to problem solving goes pretty That's quickly, thing. too. Yep. And yep, it sure does. How often have you seen guys and when you were training uh, just shit the bed when it comes to like common problem solving? I couldn't even do math at some points. Like I was so fucked up. But yeah, well, what 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 most people would call super highly functioning individuals, like it would happen all the time, all the time. And you know, basically, you have like this. Um, you have this um, certain amount of time where you can kind of get shit going. And that's where like having a well thought out kind of plan, like you don't have to have it written down, but just kind of thought through it before. But at a certain point, like once your cognitive function starts to spiral, like you, you, you know, unless you got a buddy there or something like you may not pull yourself out of that. And, and it almost, for me anyways, it's always been associated with cold and wet. Like, cause you can, you know, you lose heat so much quicker when you're wet. Um, and that's where it's like, if you haven't thought through and again, this goes back to, I don't carry this cause it's in my head, right? It doesn't weigh anything, but you're like, okay, if this happens, like, what is my, what is my steps? What are, what are my sur quote survival priorities? You know, it's like, okay, first thing is I got to trap all my body heat. Second thing is I got to get out of the element. Like, the, the last fucking thing I'm thinking about is starting a fire. 
like, cause I got to do a couple other steps prior to that before I get to the fire and the fire may be important, but there's like one or two or three steps prior to that that are even more important to get there. And if you don't do that, you may get to the point of, okay, I'm going to build a fire and you can't work your hands, your, your brain's not thinking properly. And, and then just shit starts to go south quick, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah. So, well, I think one there's of a, there's a lot there's a lot more to it than than they you know Bear Grylls shows on TV. Yeah. Oh, you ain't shitting. Um, I, I mean one one thing like um, just being in general when you're talking about not necessarily survival situations and some of this stuff just comes natural. Frank, you haven't had any prior training. You haven't been in any survival schools. And Frank's Frank's pretty fucking witty when it comes to survival. But <laughs> you know, yeah. like it rains and uh, like this year in the the mule deer hunt. There ain't a whole lot of water, so I just went with my pump and pumped out of any receptacle God gave me. I just circled the wagons all over Hell's Half Acre, mm -hmm. pumping water out of whatever was holding it, um, you know, to purify or to, to gather it. And yeah, yeah. I, if people don't think about that or, or a life straw, um, you know, just sucking water out of those things, any water you can get into your body is a bonus if it's, if it's good water. In some cases... Yeah, it takes you a couple of weeks to get GRD anyway, so drink up. You know, you don't get the shit, you'll probably get sure, some, yeah, exactly. you know. <laughs> well, and the other you'll thing. You'll be out so, of the field before you get it. Yeah, ex exactly. I've tried to tell, like, you know, people that and, you know, where to get water. People think get it from a fast-moving current, and, and um, everything I've been taught, every survival instructor's always taught me, you want to get it out of a glide or a pool where everything's sinking to the bottom and get it out of the top three inches because the bacteria or whatever the protozoa, all the shit that you don't want, sinks, and you get it out of the top where when you have it where it's turbid, it, everything's pumping in circles and you're getting it's the all, bad it's stuff. All in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I've seen guys try to make a filter out of some moss and shit. I don't know if I buy that, <laughs> but I mean, hell, if it makes you feel better, give it a whirl. But I, you know, that's getting more towards the living thing. For me, I'm just trying to yeah. get the fuck out, right? Like, I mean, I don't, you know, yeah. It, it, yeah, either way. Um, let's talk about some gear stuff real quick. Just obviously, well, we kind of skipped over this. For those who don't know, uh, John Barklow, you design the majority of all the big game stuff. I mean, what are you doing over at Sitka? Yeah. yeah. Basically kind of running that part of the business and working with the designers to come up with, uh, hopefully some cool, you know, some cool new stuff every year to, to help hunters in the back country. So, you know, some of them are my ideas. Some of them are other people's ideas that I, you know, help kind of bring life to, but yeah, it's pretty, it's a pretty fun job. Um, it's enjoyable. With that, Let's say in the last 10 years, what is something that blew you? Has, it, was, has there been anything that rocked you back and were like, whoa, this is a game changer, when it clothing-wise? Um, has there been anything in, I guess, 10, 5, whatever years, has there been anything where you're like, holy shit, this is going to make a big difference? Mm. That's a good question, isn't yeah, it? Put me on, yeah, it is. Put me on the spot. Um so definitely things have things have become lighter overall, um, which is nice and I think more efficient, especially some of the stuff to insulate us. So probably I'm not a huge fan, like I'm not a hundred percent bought in to just treat it down for certain applications, but I would say treat it down is is a pretty interesting one. Um I think some of the laminates that are actually breathing, like truly perceptibly breathing, 
um, ha- have definitely helped um, over over time. But you know what, Aaron? Putting that aside, I was talking to um, a guy the other day, um, the marketer, the big game marketer. But I'm like, you know what? The the backpacking mountaineering community is, you know, 20 years ahead of the hunting community when it comes to layering and and proper application of clothing and what to pack and what not to pack like hunters are just i mean i know it's been a few years but hunters are just still beginning to wake up and and learn about all this stuff and how to wear it properly um you know and platforms like what you have are excellent for helping people with that but it's it's really amazing how far hunters still are behind the power curve like there's stuff that I've come up with, we've come up with at work, and I'm like, and this is kind of an arrogant statement, but it's not meant to be, but it's like, yeah, the world's not ready for this yet. Like, the hunting community's not ready for this yet because they're not going to understand the technology and they're not going to be willing to pay for it because we still need to work on the basics. And that's not, that's just a blanket statement. I mean, there's some really good, smart folks out there, but but as a whole, the hunting community is is definitely lagging behind the, the rest of the world in that regard. Well, I have to say, as, as small as it is, and, and Frank, I'll let you dive in here in a second. I didn't know, being from the you know great town of Detroit Lake, Oregon, where we wore cotton flannel shirts and cotton pants, you know, wandering around picking mushrooms, freezing your balls off, <laughs> you know, later on, I, 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 I got a puffy jacket, right? I got an insulated jacket. And, you know, that was literally like Velcro, putting cheese on bread, ice cream, whatever you want to want. I was like, what in the fuck is this piece of equipment? This is, this is a godsend. Yeah. Like, you know, but I didn't, yeah. s- still didn't, you know, fully grasp it yet, but it, it was getting there. And then as time went on, um, I went from wearing shitty gloves to uh, I got some mittens. And, you know, you have mittens as a kid or whatever, but truly good mittens where I'm like, oh, wow, this is... um. I mean, and these are little stupid things, but it's amazing how a good set of mittens can change your life sitting behind a spotting scope for, you know, six hours, right? Or when you talk oh, about yeah. things that dry, I mean, that polyester is not bad, but nylon is just a step above. Nylon's ab- better. Yes, nylon's a step yep. above. Well, you wear polyester for a couple weeks and then you wear nylon. Is it going to end your life to wear polyester? No, but if you've got the choice you're going to choose nylon, um, you know, things like that. And, and I still meet guys that, you know, are wearing nothing wrong with wearing, you know, 790 million gram, you know, Merino, but Merino for me is a base layer thing. Um, you know, hundred percent that yep. shit is just not cool to dry out. It's not, it's heavier than sin. And I like Merino on my body. After that, I really don't like it in that intermediate layer. That's the fleece's job. And trying to get people to wrap their head around that. I mean, Frank, what's been a big one for you? Well, now that you say that, I was going to say Merino base layers. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, just growing up, we didn't have a whole heck of a lot of money. So, I mean, the the coolest gear that we would get would be from, like, the Army Surplus store. And it would be just, like, the cotton BDU type stuff. And I thought that stuff was badass. But as I got more into the backcountry hunting and stuff, the... Merino base layers I thought were were pretty awesome because I mean at the best point I I had like Under Armour stuff which you know that stuff is all right for day hunting but once you get it wet and it starts to dry out you get f- you get cold quick. 
Yeah, and it stinks like shit over time usually, but. Oh yeah. Um, what about you? I mean, right now, what's your? I mean, for for us or whatever, like Frank wears the Kafaru puffy jacket, a, a crap load, and uh, it's a synthetic mm-hmm. jacket. The you know overall like for. Oh man, not. I'm not saying don't buy expensive backpacks because John and, and Frank and I all make expensive backpacks. Spend away, everyone. <laughs> um, and I'm not saying don't buy expensive clothing, but what I'm saying, when you go buy clothing or the stuff that we're talking about, it is important that you have a plan that what you're going to do and you know what you're going to need, and then you get the best bang for the buck because none of this shit is cheap. And so, um, for, uh, well... John, for a guy going on elk, mule deer, and sheep goat hunts, like those, like as well-rounded as you can be, what would be your, your base, like, hey, guys, take a look at this? Like specific pieces? Yep, specific pieces. I'm only doing this because I'm fucking tired of answering the email, so maybe this will solve it. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, so let's, let's, let's start with the base layer. So it's a personal choice if you wear synthetic or merino. That's up to you. But I agree. For me, merino is like, it's a, if I'm wearing it, it's a base layer. Um, depending on the environment, I will tend to choose synthetics, but it's, it's personal choice. Um, and then, like you said, you got to have something to protect that. So you got to have a hunting pant and, and some type of shirt or, or jacket. Um, but, you know, I would say those hunts you mentioned, um, apex pant, ascent pant, something like that would be excellent. So one's a poly. One's a nylon, right? And and they, they have two different kind of applications, but it's up to you. Um, what you would do, I'm a huge fan of anything with wind stopper in it. So I personally always roll with a wind stopper jacket. So like my go-to for elk hunting would be uh, an Ascender Apex pant. I have Merino base layers on or a core lightweight hoodie, which is a synthetic because it's got that face mask. And then I use a mountain jacket, which has a wind stopper in it. And I just think it's a really under underappreciated technology. I mean, you know that if you're sitting there and the wind's blowing, it's going to strip heat away from your body really quick unless you can block that wind. And some people choose to use a rain jacket, which is fine. I just I like a wind stopper because I can wear it 90% of the time and it breathes real well. Um, and then from there, you got to go to some type of puffy. I'm a huge fan of this Kelvin Active jacket we've got now. It's a jacket I can wear from antelope season through late rifle, assuming I actually am shooting. I'm not shooting a rifle, but I'm hunting then. Um, so I can wear that, but as, as the seasons go on, um, I get a bigger puffy to put over top of that Kelvin Active jacket, so either a Kelvin light hoodie for elk season or like right now when it's snowing outside and building up quick i really love that kelvin down wind stopper hoodie that you and i talked about which has um some treated down in it some synthetic insulation but that wind stopper shell which is you know pretty waterproof um but blocks the wind it's it's crazy warm it's you know it's really warm um and then just to talk about that lofted insulation which really it, it has changed the game uh, if you're going to ask me one thing, I'd say, yeah, it's probably that loft and insulation is do you wear down or synthetic in that insulation? And again, it's a personal choice, but 
you know, a lot of times I'm a huge synthetic fan because down takes a lot of care and a lot of um, um, thought to, to, to kind of manage. And sometimes I just like idiot-proof pieces, and synthetic insulation is pretty pretty idiot-proof. Like, if it gets wet, it'll dry. If it gets wet, it'll keep you warm, like all those kind of things. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, not to not to circle back too far, but um, Frank said something about military surplus. And I mean, I, I remember working with some fairly high-end military units that literally at the time were not able to use lofted insulation and they had to wear fleece jackets and just freezing their balls off. Cause at a certain point, like you can't make the fleece thick enough to actually trap enough dead air to keep you warm. Like a, like a lightweight puffy jacket. You just, you know, it just doesn't work. Yeah. How, how many different um, uh, puffy or insulating jackets do you guys offer now? Um, so there's that brand new one that I sent you, I think last year it's got that um, with the short sleeves on it. So we won't, let's call it the Kelvin Active hoodie. Let's not count that. Let's go Kelvin Active jacket, uh, Kelvin light hoodie, Kelvin hoodie, and Kelvin downwind stopper. So four like four real nice differentiated puffy jackets um and i would say the one that's probably the most versatile is the kelvin light hoodie if i was going to recommend somebody buy one um to start with it'd be that kelvin light hoodie it's it's kind of a a mid mid-level insulating piece with synthetic insulation and you know it's got a got a nice hood on it and hand pockets and stuff just pretty good pretty good all-around piece now on that one i mean what would you say oh like temp rating like i know what i use that up until i mean when do they like when would you say hey it's time for you because you got to wear a layer over that one you got to have a waterproof layer over it yeah but that other one that you guys are offering that thing is in it to win it for the long haul the only negative side to me is it's it's loud you can't bow hunt in it but if i've got that thing on i'm not gonna be doing a whole lot of bow hunting anyway um you know meaning i'm just trying to stay warm and and stay alive i i generally guys that the kelvin light you can use that really all the time depending upon your layers above and below it no exactly so like i talk about that that mountain jacket with windstopper like i'll put the puffy jacket over top of that so i have a windstopper layer and that insulation so that's going to take me to a much lower temperature than than if i didn't have that windstopper jacket underneath right so i don't know i i don't know if i could like i don't think we throw out any temperature ratings but i would say i mean you could probably take that depending on what you're wearing you could take that down to 32 right down to freezing i think for me now your physiology may be different um you know, but for me, I'd, I'd feel pretty, pretty comfortable with that. I'd, I'd say it's a, it's, it's an early to mid season piece. And then mid to late, you want to start moving into that, that big, heavy, um, not heavy, but really lofted that Kelvin windstopper hoodie. Yeah. So the one you guys make, what, what, synth, what insulation is in that? Is that a synthetic? It, it's synthetic. It's uh, Apex. Um, so originally yep. I had Combat Climate Shield, and then uh, they changed to Apex. Uh-huh. And it's a continuous fiber filament, so you, you yep. don't have to have multiple stitch holes um, or stitching to yep. hold it in yep. place. So there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot to that. that yeah. 
we don't want to go geeking down that too far, but um, yeah. So what do you think that jackets, you, you rate that jacket to a certain temperature? Is that a mid season piece, a late season piece? Oh, I'd say it's late season. I mean, a lot of people, because of the, again, geeking out on it, the outer shell is um, colandered, so it's pretty damn windproof, and it's extremely yep. waterproof yep. or water-resistant. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. You can run it down, um, I mean, easily into the single digits. I mean, I don't, you know, with, with that piece there, Frank, you wear it. <clears throat> I use it year-round, so I'm using it now coyote hunting, and then I'll take it summertime glassing for mule deer up in the high country it's pretty versatile yeah it's not something you want to walk around in in the in in archery season or something like that but like now and during coyote season i'll wear it all day long yeah yeah and it it, what it does is basically it can cut usually like you know depending upon what your system is or what is ever you can you can kind of cut a layer out potentially like you know, if you're not overly mm-hmm. worried about a thick fleece liner, um, you know, and you've got like a long sleeve or a thinner fleece or a or a long sleeve, more of a T-shirt, you can skip that thicker fleece liner depending upon how your layering system is. And it's not too much different. Um, you know, we don't mess with down here, but like that new one you guys came out with, it's kind of like that. So if yours mm-hmm. has, um, you know, hydrophobic down, um you know, yeah. it's it, the biggest thing with ours is it can get the shit kicked out of it water wise. Um, you know, right. bef- before I forget, yep, that's what synthetic does for you. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, before I forget the hydrophobic down. I don't think a lot of people realize this. I've talked about it before. Hydrophobic down originally started in the medical field for for bedridden people. Um, because the down in the pillow. <laughs> Did it really, I didn't know that. Yeah, the down because they were so funky. <laughs> that they, they couldn't get the <laughs> funk off the feathers. And so the hydrophobic down oh. allowed to keep that bacteria and funk off the feathers and allowed it to wash easier. So, you know, you people don't realize, I, I'll bring up another example. Um, in 2000, and I may be off on the dates here, there was <laughs> a company that came out with this, uh, you know, I'm going to get my, maybe... We'll just, when we finish this up, if we need to edit it out or whatever, a backpacking (laughs) company came out with a, you know, synthetic Merino blend, um, and they didn't quite have it right, and no one would buy it in the backpacking community. They were about to go out of business in 2011, I believe, and Smartwool bought them out. Smartwool didn't do anything with that technology, and then magically, a hunting company bought that technology to use it, marketed the shit out of it. And since hunters don't do their, like you said, we're just scratching the surface. Um, yeah. That got, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I wore it, I tried it, and it smelled like a garbage can because they didn't have the blend right. So you know how you smell like a sheep, right? If you get merino wool gets wet. Well, this smelled yeah. like a sheep that had a baby threw up on it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's been obviously advancements in technology where, pe- you know, people have it right now. But this was like a thicker fleece with merino blend. Um, mm-hmm. And the company, the hunting company, marketed the piss out of it. And I would have guys tell me, this is state of the art. I can't believe this technology that he invented this. And I'm like, 
Yeah, I had that shit handed to me in 08 by a backpacking company to try it out. They about went out of business. Um, that is not the true story of that. No hunting company invented that. They just picked up the scraps of a backpacking company. Um, and that kind of stuff does happen fairly frequently. You know, you get the more you market something, you know, that doesn't mean it's a true like a good piece of kit because it has a lot of marketing into it. Uh, and you find that you do find that a lot in in the hunting community because you can get yes, kind of a, a hype going. And I, how many when we don't need to talk about companies or anything else, I can name five this year. Epic, catastrophic. Oh, my God. Fail, well, I say this year, last year, somewhat failures that just got the shit marketed out of them and people buy that stuff up and they're just not great designs. And I'm not talking about clothing. I'm talking about everything. Um, do you, yeah. do, do you see that a lot as I'm running at the mouth? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have to study the market, right. And, and come to conclusions. Uh, I will, I will say, I think you're spot on, not, not pointing fingers at anybody, but there's a lot of tech, not, quote, new technologies out there that are old technologies that somehow that company has found a way to bring into the honey market because nobody'd heard about it before. Right. Cause we are kind of as a community looking, we're, we're still catching up and it's like, yeah, that was tried 10 years ago and it failed, but they somehow got it back in the market through another company. And so, um, yeah, I, I mean, Buyer beware. That's why I say, you know, don't don't take my word for it. Don't take your word for it. Like I encourage people, go buy a few things, try them out, try them out for yourself, see how they work. You know, um, I'm confident that, you know, that our product or your product in your case will speak for itself. But everybody's got to figure it out for themselves too. You know. Oh, definitely. You know, and um, I I think uh, I, I think that. Um, you know, overall, when you when you say buyer beware, um, Frank uses Frank. You don't switch, is what I'm getting at. Frank finds something that works, <laughs> and he I'm not yeah. I'm not shitting you. I'm talking about for love or money. He ain't switching. Like, well, you switched those Zeiss SFs. Yeah. Um, and that didn't take a whole lot of arm twist. And we looked at all the optics on the front porch. You like those, and that's Frank used those. Now, footwear, clothing. It probably ain't fucking happening. Like, it takes a lot for Frank to change a good, solid piece of kit for good reason because you buy so much crap, and Frank, he gets stuff pretty much free now, but how many times did you buy stuff before you got it free and got fucked? Probably, eh, I don't know. I mean, I did, I did a lot of research before. I bought a lot of stuff, but um, yeah, I definitely maxed out a credit card or two on, <laughs> on, <laughs> on getting gear before I worked here. But, yeah, I mean, I, you're right. I once I find something that works, it's pretty hard to get me to change. And, and, and you, I, I talk about, and I'll, of course I'll bring this up because Barclow's on. I paid for my cold front jacket, not my second one. You were nice enough to give me that. But the first one, I bought it, and I don't buy gear. But that mm -hmm. specific item, and I've brought it up, those in Timberline pants many times, that fit a niche that I can't think of another jacket that fits that niche for what I need, meaning freezing my balls off for one it's got a wind blocker it's got a fleece layer it's waterproof is it something i'm going to take elk hunting 
probably not in September. No, it doesn't need to be. Yeah. When I'm at 13,000 feet on a goat hunt, that fucker is in my pack. I've got it. Because, yeah. and I've yeah. had guys say, well, what about if the fleece gets wet or whatever? I'm like, well, my aunt could grow balls and become my uncle too. <laughs> I mean, shit can happen, but <laughs> it that specific piece of kit is just hard to find. And it, it yeah. for yeah. a high country hunter, that is something that I just am like, hey, this is something you probably want. Like that, and I suggest that a lot to people. Do you even like that? Because you hardly talk about it. You know, I sing praise over it all the time. You don't use it that much, do you? I I, I personally don't use a cold front very much. Um, I probably just the way I look at my system. I I'd like to have. I can build a cold front with a few extra layers that provide a little more versatility, but if that makes any sense. But but no, the cold front's an amazing jacket. I don't know if anybody in the world actually makes that, uh, something like that. I'm, I'm just certainly not in the hunting space. Um, and it, it's a little specialized, but like you said, you found a place for it in your in your kit. I know a lot of guides that use it, uh, especially up in the North Country. But you know, before I before I worked for, for Sitka, I mean, you know, I was a, I was a hunter buying my own stuff just like everybody else. And I thought I was smarter than probably the average guy. And I mean, I still, I still wasted quote, wasted money. I won't say wasted. I definitely spent money on product that I realized was overhyped and underperformed. Um, you know, for my, for my, uh, for my abilities and the way I was hunting, and I'm with Frank. I mean, man, you find something that works and you find a system that's solid, you know, stick with it. I mean, update something here or there if you wear a pair of pants out or something. But for the most part, like if you can find something, because there's a lot of, you feel good, right? You feel good when you have a system that you know is going to work in no matter what conditions. It just gives you a lot of confidence. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. You're, you're more than, you're more, you're more willing to walk over into the next basin if if you got confidence in your in your kit no for for sure i i um yeah you know there's there's specific um things that um i mean whatever hopefully you don't get yelled at for this but for example if you're in poverty and you need some <laughs> pants we, we suggest like a piranha zion or a cool renegade or something you can find them on sale they're fairly cheap and uh you know for example but that's kind of a um you know, you don't need a whole lot of tech shit going on when it's hot, right? You know, you know, quiet is the key when you talk about tech and right. hot weather hunting because yep. you can get away with a bit more. When you get into starting to get into the advancements of stuff, and I only bring this up is when the weather is nice – anything looks good. I mean, everything works relatively well, right? Like, you know, you don't have to sure. worry too much about it. It's when the weather gets bad. And so you talk about like those, those primary layers. If someone's going to go out right now, um, I'm going to leave bottoms out of it because there's too many choices, but well, I won't leave bottoms out of it. Early season, summer, Frank and I were just talking. I don't, Frank and be honest, that apex is probably the quietest hunting pant we've found, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, and I'm not saying that just because you're on and I'm trying to hump your leg. I mean, that Apex, minus the first set you fit, sent me that I looked like I was wearing Lululemon. Um, <laughs> they, <laughs> yoga pants. They're a little tight. Um, that Apex, as far as a silent stocking pant, I don't think there's a rival to it. But when you talk about that, let's say, and then the timberline you've got the hot weather and yeah. then you've got the colder weather but but up above if somebody's just looking to go out and buy you know one system 
you know, um, like a the core heavyweight hoodie or the fanatic hoodie. One of those two would be your intermediate heavy fleece hoodie. You know, base layer merino yeah, or rock something. Solid. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. You know, the difference for me is I like tucking in sometimes the core heavyweight hoodie, where with the you're kind of defeating the purpose somewhat of the fanatic because it's got the kangaroo pouch. Um, yeah. But they're both solid. One's got a mask, you know. But those two. Um, so you got your base layer, whatever you choose. That fleece, uh, a Kelvin light, Kelvin active, depending upon what you're doing, some kind of a puffy, and then rain gear. After that, it's gloves yeah. and hats and stuff. You can get away with just about any hunt through October, September and October with that system and, and, and in August, obviously. Um, and that, I mean, I don't know what's that going to run, you know, to, I probably 2,500 bucks to go full Monty on that, which, you know, if you build it up over time, it's not that bad. Um, and it lasts, you know, it's going to last you. Well, I think my first fanatic hoodie is on the seventh owner now because it keeps getting passed around to my buddies. So they last quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I would say it, it um, so probably to get you from early season through, we'll say mid season, you know, top ahead, like seven or eight, seven or eight pieces probably in, in a system. But you know, if you're going to, if you're only hunting, good weather if you're only hunting early season you live in arizona or something man that can probably be knocked down to five pieces and then if you come up to montana for a mid-season rifle hunt you know you may need to buy two or three more pieces to kind of supplement but but you know the idea is that hopefully the stuff you bought for the early season you're still wearing it but you're putting additional layers into the system to get you into that into that colder season, you know? So, you know, it just, it, it, um, it depends. Like the apex pant you talked about. Yeah, that is absolutely quiet. I like to say it's for like, it's the discerning bow hunters pant. Like if quiet is your gig, the apex pant is it. It's not the most durable pant in the line. It's certainly durable, but it's not as durable as the timberline. The timberline shit. I got guides, you know, guys like you and guides that are in those pants 200 days a year. I'm getting, they're getting multiple years out of them. So for the average consumer, the average hunter, I'm, I'm thinking they're going to get tired of having that pant before it actually wears out on them. I'm just so, praying to God that apex pant keeps South with his fucking pants on. <laughs> um, I can't imagine oh, he would have to take that apex pant off. I think it's quieter yeah, dude, as quiet guy, as dude, skin. That guy crawls to like two yards from animals. Like he's crazy. I don't, man, I, I don't know that it's, I don't know that that pant is louder than skin. You know what I mean? Like I, 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 I don't, I, yeah. I would be arguable if a branch slapped against your leg well, and maybe, that pant. maybe you guys should make some apex boxers. Yeah. Something. <laughs> the problem with me, remember that last stock I went on or one of the last ones, my, my legs are so fucking white. Oh yeah. God, he was texting me, making fun of me. I, cause I rolled my pants up to, to quiet them down. Uh -huh. to quiet, I mean, I'm talking pasty, shockingly Caucasian, snowflake, white. <laughs> and uh, they all, God, they're giving me shit. They're like, that's probably why the deer took off. They saw your legs. So I, I don't have the luxury of South. I can't just drop drawers. Everything runs off because my pant, my legs are too white. Yeah. Uh, there's, hey, you know what? South's, uh, South's an animal unto himself, but um, I'm not taking pants off in the backcountry. I'm just not. I need, and not just because of my white legs, but just the protection, the knee, I love my knee pads when I'm stalking. So, um, 
but that that guy, Jesus, he gets so close to them critters, it's unbelievable. Um, we've talked about. I won't. I won't. I won't mention why, but we'll we'll, we'll leave that for another another time. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, that's funny. Do you guys have anything? We I think I don't know. We did a podcast a few a couple months ago. Is there anything coming out you can mention now that you couldn't before? Is is it still on the down low? Um. So we got this. Uh, I don't know what we talked about a couple months ago, but we got this new Traverse pant. So it's a great, it's a great pant. It's more of, um, it's, it, it doesn't have a lot of bells and whistles. You know, some people don't, they're not bought into the knee pad thing. So that would be, this me. is a pant that doesn't have, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have knee pads, doesn't have knee pad pockets, but it's, it's really, it's not as quiet as the apex, but it's pretty damn quiet. And it's a four way stretch polyester. So it's just a really rock solid pant. And, uh, I think a lot of, I think a lot of guys have taken off into the hills wearing that this year. And then that short sleeve one I sent you. Yeah, yeah, with yeah. With the hood yeah, on it. Yep, yep. It's the Calvin Active hoodie. You know, I think it, it's interesting. I kind of designed that to go with the Apex hoodie, which has the uh, the elbow pads. Yep. But what I didn't realize, you know, is you kind of design it for one thing, which it does a great job for early season, antelope, elk, stuff like that, meal deer. Um but dude, I wore that well into November up in northern British Columbia on that moose hunt this year, and I just wore it instead of wearing a, a fleece piece, that was basically my fleece piece. And I just appreciated that I wasn't getting a lot of um uh build up in my forearms. You know, sometimes you start you have so many sleeves of like pulling gloves on and off and things like that start to become a pain. It was just nice not having that that one layer and then I just pulled the hood up when it got windy and warmed up and then pulled it off when I got too warm and so that was a really a really nice piece and then um I'll mention one more but but uh don't uh don't don't hit the stop button Aaron but yeah <laughs> um we do have a Optifade printed um tarps out this year that that actually look really cool um kind of really unique shape and there's two sizes and they've got the subalpine and open country pattern on it so took us a long time to figure out how to print that stuff but so that's kind of a kind of the the one kind of big swing we took this year um in the big game category was those tarps oh yeah no that doesn't bug us really i mean we've had at least you're not like the walmart of kafaru where they ordered all our shit copied it and <laughs> I, remember that guy no. yeah oh that fucking guy um yeah, anyway, but no, shit, that's good. Well, and I mean, the thing is, too, like, we, the material we use, we can't, it can't be printed on. Um, yeah, and it's so, tough, real tough. Yeah, I mean, well, I say, you know what, it can be printed on, it is expensive, <laughs> and so it can be done, it's just super oh, expensive. Oh, that's the thing, dude, it's, it's, yeah, like, not to geek out again on the textile stuff, but it, it's really, it's really, really tough and very expensive. I've got to imagine Optifade is a cocksucker to to print um just because of the i, I mean yes, it is yeah i was gonna say because just looking at that from my knowledge of textile textiles that i would imagine is a nightmare not just the color palette but just as far as the the when they well you know what i'm not gonna next thing you know they're gonna be people copying you and i'm not gonna tell them how to do it but good luck if you try people <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Well, cool. Well, man, don't go anywhere. We're going to hop off, but I got two questions for you, but I we can't be on the air. But, uh, man, I appreciate you coming on. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, it's fun, and I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad uh, you got to join this time, Frank. I'm yeah, glad you're alive, dude. <laughs> yeah, I'm still alive and kicking. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, no, I appreciate it always. All right, cool, man. Take it easy.